writes, go to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. I don't know that I've ever actually, and wow, I can't believe it. It's one of the verses I really love in the scripture. You hear me reference it once in a while about being, you know, always ready, always ready to give an answer for the hope that's within us. Amen. And that's something we're supposed to be prepared to do because being ready means you're prepared to give an answer regarding the hope that's in you. And what's very interesting about the early church, they recognized that they were called to go to the uttermost parts of the earth when Jesus gave the great commission. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all the nations. Amen. And he said, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, you know, and he says, you know, uh, he said, making disciples of all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But he also said, Lo, I'm with you always, even at the end of the age. So they were commissioned to go. He said, go into, you know, Jerusalem, but in, in Samaria, hit, hit the local areas, but then go to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that's what we're supposed to be doing as a church. He didn't call pastors to go, or elders to go, or deacons to go, or Sunday school teachers to go. He called them to go too, but he called all of us to go. Amen. And not that everybody's called to the same place. Not that everybody's called to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. Praise God, Kelly, you're back from Egypt. It's nice and safe and sound. You know, it's been crazy in that region of the world uh, late. But he wants us sometimes just to go right next door. You know, go to the person sitting next to us at school. If you're, if you're in school, right? Uh, talk to the person at work. And he said, you know, Jesus at one place says, you are, you know, you know, we are his witnesses, you know. We're going to be his witnesses. Prophetically, they're going to be his witnesses. But then he also speaks of how they are his witnesses, you know. And we are his witnesses right where we're planted, right here. And it's by being a witness through what has happened in our lives and not just sharing the gospel with our words, but with our actions. I'm not one of those guys that says, you know, yeah, don't preach with your mouth. Just preach with your, your lifestyle. That's a cop-out. That sounds like that's for people who are chicken to open their mouth. Oh, yeah, I just want to be a good example. That's how I preach the gospel. Well, no, you need to be a good example. In fact, if you're going to do one or the other and you're not going to be a good example, you're just going to preach with your mouth, they'd rather you shut your mouth and not preach at all. Amen. Until you get your life together. Amen. But God wants us to have both together. And not all of us maybe feel like we can speak at times, but that's why I try to, I love Moses as an example, and God chose him for a very important reason. And remember, Moses said, I can't speak, you know, I got a problem, you know, like he had some kind of speech impediment that said, and the Lord said, I will be what? Remember that? I'll be with your mouth. Amen. And Paul, I mentioned to you, scriptures mentioned us, prayed, asked the churches at that time to pray for him that he have boldness. We have to cry out to God and say, God, help me speak your word. Amen. The word is alive. The Bible says it's, Jesus said, my words are, are the, he said, I'm sorry. He said, my words will never pass away. He said, the world will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The Bible says his word is sharper than a two-edged sword, dividing bone and marrow, right? Soul and spirit. It's powerful. You can read anything and you just read, you read what, you read the word of God. It's like conviction. Boom. God's speaking to you because it's uh, theonoustos. It's the Greek word. It's God breathed. You know, it's the word of God. Before I was a Christian, I, I made fun of Christianity in the Bible and so forth, but never having really read it. What a, you know, a dense young kid I was, right? Man, you're shaking your head really good, son. <laughs> That's how I was. You're right. Because I just was, you know, kids are arrogant. They just think, oh, I got it. I don't, I don't want to be subjected to the authority that created me. There's got to be some other explanation other than me being obedient. And when I became a Christian... 
because of the hard knocks the Lord put me through and made me wake up and realize where I could only look up and see him or deny him, take your pick, but he became a strong reality, a, a undeniable reality in my life. I would have to have suppressed the light to deny Christ at that point, and I bowed the knee to him because it's better to bow now than later because the Bible says that because he became a man and because he died for our sins and he paid for the sins of the world, that his name, the Bible says that God exalted him to the highest place. Amen? He gave him a name that is above every other name. That's in Philippians chapter 2. That the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue will acknowledge or confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to God the Father, to the glory of God the Father. So God, be, that, that's his word, you know? And it's just so amazing when you, his word just penetrates your heart. It's so powerful. And it's what transforms us. It's hundreds of millions of people around the globe. Two billion people. That's about a third of the planet, almost, claim to be Christians. Now, we know that not everybody that claims to be a Christian is a Christian. You have to truly know the Lord. You truly have to be born again. Amen. But one of the saddest things about that is most people that profess to be Christians never even open this book. You know, I'm so sorry. They don't even open their Bibles. And they're not challenged by God to grow. And we're called to be witnesses. And in the early church, they didn't just go around and say, I'm going to be a witness when I get over there and I go on this mission trip. No, they realized we're witnesses right now, guys. Amen. When you wake up in the morning, you're to be a witness. Amen. When you wake up in the morning, when you, when, when, when you go about your day, we're supposed to be lights. Amen. The salt of the earth, the light of the world. Father God, help us to understand and really get this message today and show us what you want from us. You know, it's one thing we need to lead people to Jesus, but he said to also make disciples, amen? Every time I get together with you, I'm pleading with my brothers and sisters to understand the love of the Lord more, understand his righteousness more, understand who we are in him, understand what he's called us to. I'm discipling, you know, we're discipling, we're encouraging one another when we sit with one another, right, as one man, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, amen? We sharpen each other, amen? And it just fires us up. And that's what fellowship is so important for us, is to be in fellowship. But we should be a witness where we're at. And why am I stressing this point? Because look at 1 Peter 3.15. Look what he says here. Uh, he, he's taking for granted that people are going to see your life and they're going to ask questions because they see that you're different. 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Now, we already, I already went through this verse, but I want to cover a little more ground, so this is part two of it. So I'm only going to trace over barely what I said last time, but we had a strongest emphasis in that first message was probably on these, this first line. But sanctify, what does he say? Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Before you can be ready to give an answer to somebody else, Jesus must be Lord in your heart. Amen? Otherwise, it's better not to talk about Jesus. If he's not first in your life, you're just going to be a bad witness. Sanctify Lord, now this is great, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. And I showed you that Peter is quoting from the Greek version of the Old Testament, what we know as the Septuagint or the LXX, where it's, he's taking, actually, it's very important to understand this, when in Isaiah they're saying, conspiracy, conspiracy, the Lord says, don't say conspiracy, conspiracy, like everybody else is saying. And guess what? The Assyrians were going to destroy them. They're encircling them. They're coming. The Assyrians are coming. And, it, and there was a big concern because God said, you've disobeyed me. 
I'm bringing the Assyrians in. They're going to bring you into captivity. They're my battle axe. They're going to bring discipline upon you because you've turned to all kinds of impurity, all kinds of idolatry and everything else. And you're going to just go right into Hades, you know? So I'm going to get your attention. So he brought the, he's bringing the Assyrians in. And they were freaking out. Their knees were knocking. You know, their knuckles were white. And they were freaking out. A conspiracy, oh no. And the Lord says, hey, let me be your dread. He didn't say let me, I'm sorry. That's, that's weak. Because I, I'm not, I gotta go back and look how he words it. But he commands them that he is to be our dread. We're not supposed to fear man. But he is to be our dread, amen. And then he tells them what? He tells them, he commands them to sanctify or basically regard the Lord as what? Holy, guys. He wants us to regard the Lord as holy and to fear him, he says. In other words, recognize that he is the authority that you need to be concerned about. That even the Assyrians come in are from his hand. And so often we get our eyes off of the Lord and we start to fear other things, you know. But when you fear the Lord, amen, you're not going to fear any man or devil, okay? If you fear the Lord first, you won't have to fear other things. And what's interesting, he says two things in Isaiah that I point out. Don't fear them, right? Let, I am to be your dread. Fear me, amen? And then he says, you're to regard the Lord, your God, Yahweh as holy, amen? Now this is quoted and referred to in reference in verses 14 and 15. Look at verse 14 first. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are what? Blessed. And do not what? Do not what? Fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. He's, regarded, he's going back to Isaiah now. But sanctify Christ as what? Lord. And remember what Lord is in Isaiah? Remember what it is in the Greek? Yahweh. Amen. Praise the Lord. So he's saying you're supposed to regard the Lord as holy. Amen. And not fear man back then, but fear God. Here Peter takes that and he says, don't be afraid of the persecution that you're having as Christians. Because in the early, in the early church guys, they were being persecuted radically. He's saying don't fear them. But focus on Christ as being Lord in your heart. You guys want to get through trouble? You want to get through tribulation when it happens? Sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. Put him first. It's the only way you're going to get through tough times. Whether it's minor tribulations, major tribulations, or the great tribulation. is by Christ being Lord in your heart. So, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready. Not sometimes, but always being ready to make a defense, again, this is not, just like the Great Commission, is it for pastors and elders and so forth? This command to always be ready is also for all of us, amen? Always being ready to make a defense. That's the Greek word apologia, okay? And I don't want to get into everything I got into last time, but it means to make a defense like a lawyer would make a defense to defend someone. We're making a defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're making a defense of what? Make a defense to everyone, not just a few people. Everyone who asks you to give an account for the what? Hope that is in you. In other words, you are living such a life where people see that you are different. They see your beliefs are different. They see your behavior is different. Your convictions are different, and the way you live your life is different. And it has them curious enough to say, hey, so what makes you different, you know? I mean, why, how can you go through this heavy stuff that you're going through in the first century, the Roman government coming down on you? Because the Roman government, if you did not burn incense to Caesar in certain eras of the first and second century, under Nero, they were beheaded. 
Under Domitian, later in the first century, when John wrote the book of Revelation, he was exiled to Patmos. There was heavy persecution. If you didn't burn incense to Domitian, that the church of Pergamum, Jesus says to the church of Pergamum, I know, you know, where thou dwellest, where Satan's throne is. He talks about how they were faithful. Wherein his servant Antipas, Jesus says, my servant Antipas was slain among you, where Satan dwells. Because they had this huge temple of Zeus there across from the Acropolis. You could still see that where the temple was because you could see all the remnants in this huge mountain peak where there was a temple of Zeus and so forth, who was the head god of the Greek pantheon. And these aren't real gods. These were images of demons, you know. And Justin Martyr stated that Zeus was simply a picture of Satan. And the Greek of the Olympic gods uh, at Mount Olympus, supposedly, for what the Greeks believed, but they were just demons, that's all. It was serious. And therefore, he says, I know where thou dwellest, where Satan's throne is, but he commends Antipas, who he says he was my faithful witness. And the Greek word's martis, and that's the word we get martyr from. And a martyr often was the same word used for people that would die for their faith, was those who, they were witnesses. And here, they're not to fear when they're going through heavy-duty persecution. They're to put their trust in the Lord and regard Jesus as Lord in their hearts. And as they do that, people will see what they're going through. And like, what in the world? How do these people have such courage, such hope, when other people just crumble in the midst of hard times? What, what's it about you? What makes you different, you Christians? And the last time we talked about this, a couple Wednesdays ago, I talked about Tertullian, where he talks about how the pagans, you know, how the pagans are to respond when they see how Christians live their lives and how they live holy lives and, and how uh, they, they're different and so forth. And that's how the gospel is supposed to spread. And today you have so much of the church is compromised out there that people don't see a difference. But it's important they see a difference in our lives. So he says to them in verse 15, to make a defense and apologia to everyone who asks you to give an account for the what? Hope that's in you. It's about the hope that's in you guys. Could you agree that the world needs a lot of hope right now? The world, I mean, it's almost all bad news you hear, you know? It's really sad. But we have really, really good news, amen? And we, you know, march to the beat of a totally different drummer. We sing a totally different tune. And it's about Jesus. And our lives are different. And when people were freaking about, about, about COVID, as Christians, we, sh you know, we should be able to say, hey, we need to be wise, be cautious, be careful, because we want to love our neighbor as ourselves. But also we have a hope. Our hope is in Jesus, amen? We don't only have just this life. And you see a lot of people just clinging on to just whatever they could to, to get through. Many people committing suicide at higher rates. People traumatized and so forth. And I'm telling you right now, this is the time to let your light shine. And notice what he says. To give an answer for the hope that's in you, yet with what? Gentleness and reverence. Now, this is what I want to do. We, I wanted to focus a little bit more on how we're to share with gentleness and with reverence. Gentleness and with reverence in the way we share the gospel. One thing 
that blesses me as a pastor is to hear over and over again, and I've heard this by the grace of God for 30 plus years now, I guess, right around there, I've been pastoring over 30 years here, when brothers and sisters go on mission trips, it's almost pretty much invariable that we hear, and I'm on a lot of those mission trips, so I hear it in my own ears, or you guys just got back from Costa Rica, you know, I heard it again, I wasn't on that trip because of a foot injury, which I believe the Lord allowed, because it all worked out for his glory, but I hear the same thing over and over again. This is the most loving group we've ever had, you know? And these are people that often host, that host missionaries over and over again. And it just blesses my heart because it shows me that there's true disciples, you know? You know, true, true converts, those who are truly following Jesus, you know? And they're shining the light of Christ and, and people are seeing your love, you know? We went, the first trip we went there, uh, it was with the Barons live right here in Simi Valley, known them for years. We had a group, I don't know, it was like, what was it, 20, 25 or something? Huge group, 25. And they said, they told us on the way back, they said, we just want to let you guys know, we have groups like this, especially with younger people. There's always people fighting. There's things we go, oh, it just becomes, and it's, your heart, and I was just like, what? And I was knocking on wood. Say, I was like, Jesus, help us never be like that, you know? It doesn't mean you're not going to have someone that struggles here and there. But it shows me that even the young people, by the grace of God in our fellowship, you know, are seeking the Lord often, you know, and we're patient with those who aren't, you know. But I was just blew me away, and I was like, we've heard that over and over again. And I heard that again when they came back. They were so excited, you know. And, and, but that's what Christ should see. That, and, and not that I don't pat people on the back and say, praise God and praise the Lord, yes, for that. But that's normal Christianity. That's what, the Lord sh- that's what the Lord expects to see from us, amen? And even more, Paul said to the church of Thessalonica, you're doing great, he commends them, God bless you, he commends them with, in their love for one another. He commends them, but he says, but still abound more and more in your love for one another, amen? So we never, we never, never want to think we've arrived until Jesus returns, amen? But he says to do it with gentleness and respect. And I want to emphasize this, because they're asking about the hope that's in you. And he's saying to do it with gentleness and respect, okay, or reverence, gentleness toward the person, reverence towards God, because the first part of that verse starts with what? Revering Christ, honoring Christ, sanctifying him as Lord is your heart, in your heart, amen? So when you speak to people, you're revering him as Lord in your heart. That's what causes people to inquire about your witness, because they see that, wow, there's something transcendent in your life. There's something beyond what is what we're all seeing. There's some kind of hope you have. What in the world's going on here? And it's because you revere Christ. It's because you honor Jesus. It's because you regard him as Lord, as Yahweh in your heart. And they're like tripping out. And then when they ask you, you don't forget that. You're gentle with them because the Lord was gentle with you, amen? And because that's his nature, amen? I am meek and lowly, Jesus said, humble of heart, amen? Come and take my yoke upon you for my burden is light and my yoke is easy, amen? come. So we recognize that he is, is loving. If he's Lord of the heart, then we're going to be gentle because the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, right? Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control, against which, against which there is no law. So as we revere him as first in our lives, that's how we become filled with the Holy Spirit of God, Amen? Because the Lord dwells in us as we seek him first. And guess what? 
as we talk to people in love and gentleness, doesn't mean you don't have passion, you know? Doesn't mean you don't get excited, but it means you're not mean-spirited to them when you're talking to them. Amen? You're, you're loving to them. You're not in the flesh full of anger. Turn to Jesus. He loves you. You know, that just doesn't make sense. For God so loved the world. Huh? It's like, what? You know, you can, you can ruin the, what you're preaching by the spirit in which you communicate it. Amen? So I speak the truth. It says in, I love it when it says in uh, Ephesians 4, 15, I believe. Speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. I was just talking to a brother and recently, and that doesn't go here, but he was saying he was involved in a group that's online, and they're in apologetics, you know? And they're in a discernment ministry that he's a part of. He tries to encourage people. And they said from their, you know, he said from my, the background they were in, anybody that disagreed with just dotting your I's and crossing your T's perfectly, they were off, you know? And it's just kind of an interesting talk because uh, he said that uh, he knew that Calvinism was wrong and they hated Calvinists. Not, they didn't say they hated Calvinists, but the group. It's like they just are so like, I don't know if hate might be too strong a word, but very belligerent you know, and they told me that when they heard me say that Calvinists are our brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, we love them. It blew them away. His wife said, when I heard you say that, I said, he's a heretic. Because <laughs> I said, to love Calvinists, or, I, or because I said, uh, they're our brothers and sisters in Christ, you know. And then his wife said she kept listening and realized that she was off, that her heart had become hardened and in, in certain areas, you know, and that God spoke to her through that. You know, now they really love the ministry. This guy that was, as, not that my teaching was heretical. They, they loved the teaching. It was solid, but that I would open my arms to people that I disagreed with. Well, yeah, it's because I do believe that you get into the kingdom through trusting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Amen right? And believing that Jesus died for your sins. Amen? Calvinists believe that. They just don't believe he died for other people's sins sometimes. Okay? That's a problem. So it's a family problem. Amen? Dad does love other people. Brother, you know, he doesn't just love his family. In fact, he gave his son for the world, it says, and love your enemies, you know? So, uh, and by the way, I recognize there's problems, and I talk about problems all the time that we have to deal with in the church family. I don't shy away from it because you have to have that balance. You're still supposed to speak the truth in love, yes, but also speak the truth. Amen? You with me, guys? So I just uh, think it's important, even with this issue, speak the truth in love. You know, I, I listened to a Calvinist years ago when I was a young Christian, and he was debating a Roman Catholic priest, and it was on video back when you had the you know, VHSs or whatever, back in the Stone Age, I guess. And the Calvinist was making better points because he was coming against Roman Catholicism being a false gospel, and I agreed with him. But the priest was super sweet as they're sitting at the table. And then the priest didn't hear something he said, and he's like, oh, I'm sorry, what was that? He goes, 
take this pencil and clean out your ears and listen. They're in a debate, a formal debate. I'm like, what? And I'm like, you can't do that. That's not the love of Christ. That's not what gentleness and reverence or Westboro Baptist. Remember, the, you know the Westboro Baptists? They go to funerals and pick the funerals. People that lost their children in, in war for our country. And they pick at them and, and say they died for a country that accepts homosexuality. And they just, and five-point Calvinists, you know. God only loves the elect. Yeah, it's Calvin himself, his namesake. Guy named Servetus. Guy was off in some areas for sure. He sent John Calvin. Calvin wrote the Institutes of the Christian Religion when he's 27 years old. Probably should have waited to write that years later. And uh, Servetus, who was a guy actually, he actually mapped out the blood system, the blood vessels and everything else. Both of them had come out of Roman Catholicism. And Servetus sent a copy of Calvin's Institutes back to him. And he wrote in the margins where Calvin was off. Including like, for instance, on, mainly, like on infant baptism. Calvin taught that you sprinkle babies. And he also taught that certain elect babies were already regenerated and born again before they heard the gospel. Some weird stuff. And Servetus was actually right in that area, saying you have to be a disciple to be baptized, right? And he said, if Servetus comes into Geneva, because he was like the Pope of Geneva, he will not leave alive. And Servetus came into the church when he was preaching one time, and he had him arrested. Then they had him burned at the stake. Okay? And some Calvinists will say, yeah, but, but Calvin didn't want him to get burned at the stake. He just wanted his head to be chopped off. Well, death is death. But there's a reason he didn't want him burned at the stake and he wanted his head chopped off instead. Because there was a difference between the ecclesiastical leadership and, and the civil. And Calvin wanted his head chopped off because then it was a civil decision by the political side of Geneva. But they said, no, John, you're the one that wanted him arrested. It's a spiritual matter. We're, that's what we do with heretics. We burn them at the stake, right? Yeah, okay, we're going to burn them at the stake. Years later, Calvin said he still doesn't, didn't repent of it. He said, I still don't, he'd still do it again. The Bible says no murderer has eternal life in them, you know? And the Bible, well, we're supposed to talk to people with gentleness and what? Respect. What if you came and visited my house one day and you found out there's a secret room that I had built and you walked in and you saw all these dead bodies and I told you, you know what? I know it looks bad, but don't worry. It's all Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons that came to my door. Would that make it acceptable? No. In fact, well, he's not talking about, you know, how you deal with false teachers here. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And just go to the end of the chapter, verse uh, 23. But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant must not be what? He must not be what? Quarrelsome. Verse 24. 2 Timothy 2.24 now. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome. Are you a bondservant of the Lord? You're not supposed to be into arguing. You're not supposed to be quarrelsome. But be what? Kind to 
Who? Some people, most people, everybody but false teachers? No, to all. Able to teach. Patient when wronged. Now this is interesting because he's talking in the context about those who have gone astray and who are even false teachers. Back up to verse 16. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. The Greek word could be translated cancer there. Among them are Hymenaeus. In the Greek, Humenaeus. I love that guy's Greek name. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they what? Upset the faith of some. These guys are ruining the faith of people. That's serious. That's enough to get our blood to boil, right? Spiritually, people leading people away from the faith. That's serious. But we have to watch out and make sure that we don't get in the flesh and that we don't become fleshly when we deal with people because the flesh profits nothing, Paul said. Jesus as well said that. Now, go back to chapter 2, verse 24. The Lord's bondservant must be, not be quarrelsome, must not be quarrelsome, but kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may what? With gentleness, verse 25, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the what? Knowledge of the truth. Why does he want them to come to knowledge of the truth? Well, look at verse 4, back up to verse 4 of chapter 2. Oh, actually, it's 1 Timothy 2, 4. Don't go there. But it says, God wills that all would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's verse 4. Verse 5 says, because there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Then verse 6 says, who gave himself a ransom for who? All. Verse 6 says all. Because he doesn't will that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. But then look here. He says that he wants these guys to come to knowledge of the truth. Verse 26. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Now I have to admit, if I'm eating at some place and I happen to see Kenneth Copeland there, who's led a ton of people astray, I'd be prayed up, man, because that guy's kind of scary, man. I'm sorry. He just is like, whew. And he's laboring under some really bad spirits, you know. I'd be prayed up. But yeah, I, I could easily get in the flesh because he's, he's devoured widows' houses, you know. He's taken untold millions of money from people through saying, send money to me and God will give you back tenfold or hundredfold or that word faith. But you know what? My hope and heart would be, and I say this not as one, I went, I'm not going to say this. I would go over there and say it this way. I'm not going to say that because guess what? I have to always be ready and I always have to watch myself and I always have to be prayerful. This is not this thing, one of those things where you've arrived. Oh, this is just the way I am. I always do it right. No, because you might do it right 22 times in a row, and the 23rd time you're going to blow it. So we always have to be ready, always revering Lord as Christ as Lord in our hearts. Amen. Always seeking to be gentle and reverent toward the Lord when we share the gospel with other people and when we even try to win the lost back. Who knows? Sometimes false teachers do repent. It's not common, but it happens. Amen. Peter was being a bad example there in the book of Galatians. And he was 
not preaching a false gospel, but he was living it out the wrong way and making it look like you couldn't eat with Gentiles and they, that, the, that he was still under the law in some way and backed up when he heard the Jewish believers had come and then Paul said to his face, you're being a hypocrite. Now Paul used some strong language. Jesus used very strong language when he talked to the Pharisees, amen? Called them, you know, snakes. John the Baptist said, you brood of vipers, you know who warned you to flee from the day of wrath? Doesn't mean that we don't speak truth. We speak truth, but you do it in love. It's a line though, right? Sometimes it's hard to discern where that line is. Err, if you're gonna err, this is my personal conviction. If you're gonna err, err on the side of grace, amen? The Bible says the anger of man does not bring about the righteousness of God. James chapter one, verse 19. You're not gonna win souls through anger. You're not gonna win your wife through anger. You're not gonna win your husband through anger. You're not going to win your children through anger. You've got to show the love of Christ. Amen? So it's very, very important that we get this and we understand how important this is. Now, he says, verse 24, the bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but, the, but kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. I just love that, man. That's so, that's so important. Remember the Salem witch trials? You know, the Puritans, the Calvinists over there in Salem, burning witches. That's not what God calls us to do. Thankfully, Calvinists don't do that anymore. Well, it's not, they can't do that. Some might if they could, okay? I talked to one brother that says, I would think it's just, there's some that are into, you know, uh, instituting dominion theology who would probably bring some of that stuff back if they could, okay? That's not part of the new covenant in the way we're supposed to minister to people. We're supposed to preach the gospel. If we're supposed to go to a home and share the gospel, if they reject it, does it say pull out an Uzi? What did Jesus say? Wipe the dust from your feet and go to the next place. We're ambassadors for him. We represent him. And he is love. God is love. 1 John 4, 8. 1 John 4, 16, God is love. So it's imperative that we get this down and we understand. Brothers and sisters, when you go street witnessing, you know, and you're sharing the gospel, whether you're sharing one-on-one with people or you're doing open-air preaching, are people seeing somebody that looks angry at them? Or are they seeing someone who's like a beggar that's been saved by grace pleading with them to know Jesus too? Amen? That's what they need to see. We're, we're beggars that have come to Christ, saved by his grace, and we need to be grateful and we need to show it in our hearts and we need to preach the truth in love. Amen? Now, it doesn't mean that if we've blown it when we share it or we have gone too much toward, you know, gotten upset about something that's over. No, this, we're learning together. Amen? We grow together, okay? So if you're listening by live stream or you're listening here, pray, Lord, help me show the love of Christ. Amen? That's so important that people see the love of Christ in us. In fact, sometimes I, uh, I think sometimes people that just emphasize love, 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 but they don't emphasize the truth in God's word and, the, uh, and how God uses words to persuade people and so forth, and, and they emphasize, they, they miss the boat, but I believe there's other people that are emphasizing apologetics and discernment, which we do, but they miss the boat if they don't emphasize love because l- the love of Christ is also a powerful apologetic. In fact, the very truth of his word was written in love by the God of love, amen? And his love wins people. If you wanna win, you wanna win an argument with somebody, don't try to win the argument, try to win their soul, amen? It's not about winning the argument. It's about winning their soul. And the love of Christ is powerful. Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you 
are the best debater in the world. No, he said, if you love one another. John 17, 21, that they may be one, Jesus prays in his high priestly prayer before his crucifixion to the Father. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. That they may be one in us. Why? That the world may believe that you have sent me. When they see our love for one another in Christ, it sends a message to the world because they don't see that anywhere else. You can't go to an AA meeting, an, AA, an, AA, an NA meeting, or a CA meeting, co- 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 uh, Cocaine Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Alcohol Anonymous, and see the love of Christ everywhere. Because you could pick any higher power. You have some people that are unified in, not, in, in getting off of alcohol and getting off of cocaine. My wife went to all three of those at the same time, by the way. You know? She, you, you just got your cake, your other cake last week, did you, baby? No, I'm just kidding. She, it, Jesus is a one-step program for us, amen? And, uh, but she was in, I think, all three of those when I start, we started seeing each other. Brand new Christian. And, you know, it was, she, um, no, I'm not going to go into it, but it was pretty bad. Just the way people behave there. But they were trying to get off drugs, and praise God, that's good, you know? But the system itself, the 12 steps, but if I went into the big book and stuff, that's not good, the 12 steps. So I don't recommend it personally because those who set it up, they actually talked about channeling, you know, a spirit entity and all kinds of stuff, the 12-step program. So we don't do the whole recovery thing here and so forth because it has, we, we believe that, you know, God's given us more than su- sufficient, amen, all things that pertain to life and godliness. And the word of God is more than sufficient for it to meet our needs and the power of his Holy Spirit, Amen. But I want to say this, it's important that you and I understand that we have something that you don't see around the world. And that is the love of Christ. It's powerful. I mean, I can't tell you, I had a brother that came and visited. He says he works down the street, comes and pops in once in a while. He says every time I come in here, African-American brother, last week I was talking to him for maybe 20 minutes, a guy named Sam, or James, I'm sorry, beautiful brother. And I hadn't seen him for a while, but he goes, man, he lives, I guess, a little ways away, but he works on this on Easy Street at times, and he goes, man, I just got to make the trip when I'm down here. He goes, every time I come in here, I just sense, sense just the, the, the love of God, you know, the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and it's, it's, the Holy Spirit is present here, and you can sense the Holy Spirit here, you know, when brothers and sisters are singing and worshiping, when they're fellowshipping, because he's in, the, he's in believers, amen? And it's such a beautiful witness. Listen to what Jesus said in John 17, 23 in his prayer. I and them and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity so the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. So when we show love for one another and we love the lost and we show them that love as well, that even goes further. They get to see the love of Christ. Because, and, and it's definitely powerful. So last time I was with you guys, on this particular verse, I went through when he says, be ready always to give an answer in regard to the hope that's in you. And I said, what's that hope? I said, let's let Peter, best way to understand scripture is let scripture interpret scripture. So let's let Peter show us what the hope is. And I gave you a number of things where Peter mentions the hope that we have. And I didn't take it from, I did start at the beginning of first Peter, but I didn't go in chronological order because I went in order, basically, of his 
incarnation when he became a man, you know, through his life, his death, his resurrection, all the way to his coming. Amen? And we looked at that. And we looked at those. But I want to do something else this time, and this was my objective the second time around, was to talk about how we share, how we apply these things to our lives. We're talking a lot about that right now. So let's trace them again without repeating the theology as much, which we got into last time. Let's, how, does this, how does this help us when we witness people? How does this hope that we have, how does it translate into our witness with gentleness and reverence? Well, first and foremost, uh, chapter one, let's go there. What is our hope? Jesus, you know, became a man. God became a man. The word, actually, before he was called Jesus, God became flesh. Go to 1 Peter, because that's where the hope is. 1 Peter's talking about the hope that's in us. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. And when you get there, go ahead and simply go to verse 20. Chapter 1, verse 20. Now, Peter says this. For he, meaning Jesus, was first uh, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has what? Appeared in these last days for the sake of you. Before the world existed, Jesus was already there. Okay? The pre-existence of Christ. It seems so simple. God very clearly lets us know that he is from everlasting to everlasting. Micah 5.2, that Jesus, who would be born in Bethlehem, it says is from everlasting. Okay? That he had... Jesus, before he was, became a man, he is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune Godhead. That the Word became flesh, it says in John. He became flesh and dwelled among us, amen? And in 1 Peter 1.20, he appeared. He was born in a manger. And that right there is part of our hope. The fact that God became a man, amen? If God didn't become a man, we'd be hopeless. We'd be in our sins still. We'd be all alone. But he became a man. Well, how does this affect our witness? How does this apply to us? What, what, I mean, what does that mean as far as when we're sharing with other people? Well, that means we're able, first and foremost, to share with them that guess what? God became a man. God revealed himself through the prophets, right? And you're sharing with them the prophecies of the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 7 and chapter 9, Right? He'd be born of a virgin in the Old Testament 900 years before it happened. You know, mighty God he'd be called. Father of eternity, amen. Prince of peace, right? Daniel talks about even the year he would be crucified. You know, 700 years before it happened. Just just mind-boggling. But guess what? How does that relate to our attitudes? We recognize what he did for us. And we have that same attitude toward the people we minister to. We have that same attitude toward one another as we love each other. What did Jesus do? Even though he's God. I mean, he could have just hung out as God, amen? He said, hey, I'm God. Wow, look, they're in sin again. Last time I flooded the earth. This time, I'm just done with him. No. God became a man. In Philippians chapter 2, but it says, you know, that even though he existed in the very nature of God, he did not consider Equality with God, something to be grasped or held onto, or as NIV says, uh, as to take it, something to take advantage of. But he made himself nothing, or King James, of no repute, NIV, made himself nothing. And he took upon himself the nature of a servant. 
Even though he exists in the form of God, the nature of God, he took upon himself the nature of a servant and died a death, the death, he says, he became a man and died, died a death. And he says, even the death on the cross. Wow. God became a man. You let them know that. But you know, when he tells us what he did, you know what he says right before that? In verse five, right before verse six says, even though he existed in the nature of God, or in the King James, or I should say the NASB, the very form of God, you know what it says in verse five? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God and the nature of God. We're supposed to have that, the NIV says mindset. Let this mindset be in you, that was also in Christ. In other words, how was he? What did he do? He said, you know what? Even though I'm God, I could just stay here as God at the right hand of the Father and enjoy all the fellowship with the angels and the Trinity, you know, and all this. No, I'm going to save them. I'm going to become a man. And we're supposed to have that mentality that guess what? We're supposed to, as it says in, Hebrew, in Romans chapter 12, condescend to the man of the lower estate. Okay, I'm quoting the King James a lot today because <laughs> I memorized the Bible in different, different parts of the Bible in different versions through the years. But, uh, you know, basically associate with those others with a lowliness of mind. Do you remember Jesus said, I'm humble and meek? We need to, when we share about the hope of Christ with other people, we need to condescend to where they're at. Not condoning any bad practices, bad behavior, bad doctrines, but meet them where they're at with the love of Christ. Show them what that, guess what? We have just received the love of Christ that we were in our, in, in our sins too, amen? You ever give somebody the good person test? You know? Hey, did you ever tell a lie? You know? Did you ever look at a woman with lust? You ever put something before God? I don't know why people always seem to leave idolatry out of that. I think it, or, you know, I, I always try to get idolatry in there because it's the greatest, the first commandment of the 10 is not to have any gods before him. So I say, you ever put anything before God if I use a good person test? But you know what I do? I don't all of a sudden make them look like they're some weird alien as though they're all alone in this. I let them know that, hey, I put myself there. I go, hey, man, we've all blown it, man. We've all come short of his glory, amen. We've all broken these. Because you want to let them know that you needed his grace too. And you want to humble yourself before them. And not act like you're righteous in yourself. And praise God. It's by the grace of God we go. We're saved by grace. But we should be different too because he's also changed our hearts. Amen. But we need to be humble. And when we go to them and encourage them in Christ. So let's make sure we do that. That's Romans 12, 16 if you wanted to reference. Go to uh, 1 Peter 2, 22. 1 Peter 2. Here's another reason we have our hope in Jesus. 1 Peter 2, 22. And remember, I know we went through these before, but we emphasize the theology, not the application. I wanted to apply a lot of this. So you get a lot of devotional application. So is, has God been speaking to your hearts at all today? Been convicting you a little bit, hopefully? You know, 1 Peter 2, 22. He committed no what? He committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Right? And while being reviled, he what? He did not revile in return. While he suffered, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself uh, to the ju uh, him who judges righteously. So when Jesus was on the cross, and even at his trial, when he was reviled and all kinds of wicked things were said against him, he's perfectly righteous. He did not retaliate. 
right? He responded in love to these guys. And he, if anyone had the right to retaliate, it's God, amen? You know, and he's just taking it. And how does this apply to us when we give an answer with gentleness and respect? We don't revile back. We don't sin. He, 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 he stayed from sin. He did not sin. Well, you say, yeah, well, praise God. And that's, and that's one reason we have the hope. That's one of the, I mean, praise God. His death, burial, and resurrection, that's our hope, amen? But we looked at his incarnation, amen? But also he didn't sin. He was sinless. That's why we can hope in him. We don't have to worry about God blowing it, amen? We don't have to worry about God becoming a liar and a thief and all that stuff, like the pagan gods. You know what's weird? When you look at the Greek gods, you know, the Norse gods, the American Indian gods, they're like all like duplicitous, you know? They're not like holy and righteous and perfect and pure, uncreated creator of all things. They're made in the image of men and demons. But Jesus was without sin. That's why we could trust him. Amen? People that worship, there's people who are now worshiping Loki, the German devil, Germanic devil in, in Norse mythology. He was the, the trickster, the mischievous one. They're, but they're not sure if they could trust him. Okay? I've been studying this as I've been get, working on my video, you know, on Marvel and DC, because they got a lot of them that have these Greek and Norse gods. I was like, wow, there's people actually following these gods, and some of them say, yeah, the, these Marvel movies are influencing us. Wow, really? Yeah, I think they are. And some are like, I don't know if I should pray to Loki or not, because I don't know if I could trust him. <laughs> it's like, wow, aren't you grateful that Jesus is without sin? <laughs> that God's holy? You don't have to trust you don't have to worry about trusting him or not. You just trust him. I mean, you don't have to worry about putting your trust in him, thinking that something might go wrong because he never changes, amen? He changes not. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never sleeps. He's always there for us. So what's interesting here, you say, yeah, but praise God, but that's our hope, but that's not really, it's to be an example for us not to sin. Yeah, it is. Look at verse 21 right before it. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you what? An example for you to what? Follow in his steps. Again, that word example in the Greek, New Testament was written in Greek, right? The New Testament is used of like tracing paper. So we're supposed to look at what he went through and say, look, he did that without sin. When I witness to others and I'm reviled back and I'm persecuted, I need to make sure I don't sin. You can't do that in your own strength. So you have to cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, help me follow the example. Father God, help me follow the example that your son gave. Strengthen me by your spirit. Use me to your glory. Help me not to revile back when I'm persecuted. And right now, it's pretty cush here in our country compared to a lot of places where people have the gospel. Some Muslim lands, it's really dangerous to have the gospel and share it. In China, it's very dangerous and so forth, amen? Different parts of the world, you know? In, in different countries in the world, you, teachers, doctors, you know, a doctor in Great Britain, heavily persecuted, lost his job because he wouldn't call a, a, a grown man with a beard a woman, he wouldn't use the proper gender. Then he said, I'm not going to do it. It's not true. He lost his job, you know. I mean, this happened, the persecution in Canada over that, Christian pastor and Joe, I just got out, I think, a little bit ago. I think he uh, was associated with Masters, you know, or, or Grace Seminary uh, or had come out of there. And persecution's coming. So you have to realize that you may say, well, it's not that hard to witness. It can be a lot harder than it is. And sometimes it's not hard because we're not getting the salt out of the shaker. We're not getting the light past the bushel. Get it out there because all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now, 
He's an example. So in the incarnation, he's an example to us when we share that we, through him being incarnated in us, that is Christ living in our hearts, amen, lives in us. We aren't Christ, but he lives in us. We show who he is by living out that example. And when we witness to people and we go through persecution, we don't revile back, just as Jesus abstained from sin, amen. And 1 Peter chapter 4 talks about believers have ceased from sin, it says. Doesn't mean they're perfect, but it means we no longer live a life of rebellion against God. That's no longer our lifestyle. Amen. And we want to prove God's will to people. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, right? Which is your reasonable service that you may prove the will of God. And you prove it to yourself first, but you prove it every day when you show it in your own life by living for Jesus. Number three, okay? He was not only without sin, but he what? He died for our sins. Amen. He died for our sins. Now, how does that relate to us when we witness and we show the, tr- share the truth in, with gentleness and respect? We can't die for anyone's sins, so it's, it, there's a difference. But we are to die to sin, amen? We're to show the love of Christ. And he, his death for our sins is an example of what we're supposed to be living, the way we're supposed to live as far as being selfless. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, it says, Ephesians 5.25, which was revolutionary in the first century. No one did that. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might, what, cleanse her, right? Of every spot, every wrinkle, and present to himself a glorious, a a, a radiant church in all her glory. You know, it's like, wow. And it's important that we show the love of Christ and that we die to self. In fact, we always think of when Jesus died, what's the most famous verse in the Bible? And it probably should be because John 3.16 says so much in one verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes him should not perish but have everlasting life. But guess what? We think of that and we think about what he's done. But you know what I like too is 1 John 3.16 because that's the application for us. Listen to 1 John 3.16. You can go to it if you want. 1 John 3, 16. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Wow. So I'm supposed to say, wow, look what you did for me. I can't believe it. I put my trust in you. I'm saved now by your grace. What an amazing reality. So awesome, God. You're so good. But I'm supposed to also say, wow, that's how I'm supposed to live now. I'm supposed to imitate Christ. And I'm supposed to lay my life down for my brothers now. And that's a powerful witness because what greater love? Jesus says no greater love does anyone have. That's in John 13, 34, I believe. No greater love does someone have than they lay down their lives for their friends. You know? And that's kind of like who's my neighbor? And then it finds out it's a Samaritan. It's also your enemy. Amen? And the word love there is agape. And in the context of God's love, that's spiritual love. That's a love the world doesn't have. That's a love. Jesus said, what better are you than the world in Luke chapter 6? If you love your own family members and you do good to them. He goes, what better is that? Jesus says this. He's, he's calling us, guys, to a greater love, to graduate to love, guys. He wants you and me to graduate to agape, to go further, to the point where you don't just take advantage of a liberty you may have that may cause your brother to stumble because you love your brother enough to forego that liberty. That's the kind of love God calls us to. He calls us to love our enemies to where it hurts. He's telling us to love our enemies because in verse 16, I know this because in verse 16, right after he says in chapter 3 of 1 John, when he says this, when he says, 
we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. You know what he says in the very next verses? Verse 17. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. I love that. I love that. So we're supposed to love in deed and truth. We're supposed to lay our lives down like Jesus did. That's a powerful witness. You mean when I go witness somebody, just somehow die for them so they could see the love of Christ? How do you do that in a practical way? How do you take up your cross? Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, true Christianity here. We're not fakes. We're real, man. Jesus says, if you're going to be my disciple, you must take up your cross, deny yourself daily, and follow me. To take up our crosses, that was the electrature of the day. That means we die to our own self-will and doing our own thing and living up for ourselves and being our own gods. It means we say, not my will, but thy will be done. That's what Jesus taught us. Guess what it means? How do you die? How, how do you take up your cross? How do you lay your life down for others as a witness? You die to yourself. You die to yourself. Man, you know what? I've been witnessing to this guy. Oh, for, for, man, I can't believe it. For three minutes, wow. That's a lot of time. I got lunch, man. Hey, nice talking to you, buddy. Wait, wait, I asked you how, I, how must I be saved? Ha, you know what? Just call a church. No one here would do that, okay? I know that, okay? But we got to deny ourselves and say, man, I might have to miss lunch right now. It's okay. I could stand and lose a few pounds. I could hang out with this guy. Wait, it's a little longer, you know, or whatever, you know? But we need to be able to deny ourselves to bring the gospel out, you know? Our lives as Christians should be, people should be able to look at our lives and say, yeah, I know that person loves Jesus because they live for him. Because they don't get all bent out of shape if they don't get a pat on their back when they've done something for the gospel. Are you serving man or are you serving God? We're supposed to be looking for his, his affirmation, amen? Pleasing him, doing what pleases him, not you know, don't say, oh, well, nobody's recognizing what I'm doing. Jesus said, when you've done the will of God, he gave an example of a servant with his master. He says, a servant doesn't go in and after he's done what he's supposed to do, then say, you know, <laughs> look for a thank you, Jesus basically said. Because he's only done his duty. Well, guess what? We haven't even done our duty, really, the way we ought to. And God's been merciful. He's given us grace, so we just need to be thankful. Amen? And then he said, we can rejoice, though, when we've done the will of God. That's in Galatians chapter 6. So there's a time of rejoicing, so I encourage you in that. But while we were yet sinners, the Bible says Jesus died for us. Amen? And Jesus said in Luke 6, 27 and 28, But I say to you, I, I say to you here, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Do you do that? Brothers and sisters, we're supposed to be doing good to those who mistreat us. How are we better than the world if we get mistreated and we just harbor anger and hatred? That's not right. God help us when we get mistreated to do good back to people and to pray for them, amen? Now, thank God he gives us room to grow, amen? And that growth starts with conviction where we get convicted and say, ah, yeah, you know, I'm off in that area. Not we harden our heart and say, no, this is just the way I am. God didn't save you to stay how you are when he saved you, amen? The Bible says without holiness, no one will see the Lord, Amen? And he's created a new heaven and new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness, not rebels. Amen? 
He saves us from the penalty of our sin and then from the power of sin against us and ultimately from the presence of sin forever in the future. Amen? Wow. Man, I have to go through the next ones real quick. Just hold your seatbelt because I wasn't planning on having a part three. I didn't want to do part three and we're not going to do a part three. Number four, reconciliation. So he, he did what? He incarnated. He became a man. He lived a perfect life we saw in number two. And number three, he died for our sins. Number four, he reconciled, he brought us to God. That's in 1 Peter 3.18. He reconciled us or he brought us to God. Guess what? By you being a witness and you letting people know that you now have unity with God, that you're one with God because your sins are forgiven. He's taken them away because Jesus died on the cross. And now the God that you were in rebellion to has forgiven your sins and has not holding your trespasses against you, amen, but has reconciled you to himself. Guess what? You share that with them. You share that love with them. Amen. And you share the good news because guess what? We're living letters. We're living epistles read by men. Amen? That's what it says in 2 Peter chapter 3. We're living epistles read by men. Remember the Pony Express? They couldn't go north and south, man. There was a huge war going on called the Civil War, right? But man, they'd send, I think, one, one span of about a month or so. They sent like 80-some riders, you know, back and forth with all these letters. But we, we aren't carrying letters, man. We are the letter. We're written by the ink of the Holy Spirit. So we're supposed to be witnesses, shining the light to the Lord God. Amen. And we have the best news ever. We have the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we give the letters of reconciliation. We are a letter of reconciliation. Now, it's important to understand this. When you're being a witness to other people, we, we sometimes we say you may be the, oh, there's a gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? But a lot of people never see those gospels. You might, there might be just the gospel of Landell, right? Or Jim Murphy, right? Uh, what gospel are you preaching? What do they see in your life? And guess what? When you suffer, if you don't retaliate, but you have Jesus as Lord in your heart and you're reconciled to him, that shows up. And when you suffer and you have faith in God when you're going through hard times and people see you trusting in Jesus, that brings conversion sometimes. That, that reaches into someone's heart and says, look, Jesus said, if the Son of Man be lifted up, he will draw who? All men to himself. You point to Jesus when you go through suffering and you look to him and you point them to the one who was lifted up for you. When Jesus was lifted up and they saw his love, he prayed for them, Father, Forgive them, for they don't know what they do when they were spitting upon him, cursing him, blooding him, like, and to beat him to a pulp. He threw the blood and the sweat and the tears and the agony. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Pen to the cross. Could have called 12 legions of angels, he said. And what happened? One of the two thieves, who earlier was hurling insults upon him, said, remember me, right, to Jesus. He says to the other guy, stop it, basically. Re rebuked him. He goes, he's done nothing amiss. We're here because we deserve it. Jesus stood out for the righteous God he was on the cross in the flesh. What did he say? Father, forgive them for they know what they do. And it's crazy. When he was there on the cross, one of the thieves literally told the other guy, We've, he's done nothing amiss. He didn't blow it like we did. And you know what he said? Jesus, remember me when you what? He confessed him as Lord. Do you know that? He said, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Recognize he's a king. Amen? And what did the centurion do, the soldier? Truly, this is the what? Son of God. You see how powerful it is? I'm trying to emphasize, and hopefully I've emphasized this entire message, that you show the righteousness of God. You exalt Christ. You be an example. That's a huge part of apologetics. You love people through the blood. 
through the tears, through the pain. Lord God, help us to do just that to your eternal glory. Amen. And when they're broke, when we're broken, they see the light of God. They see the light of God. Amen. Should I try to finish or would you guys, would you guys like to continue on this? You want a part three? Are you guys, you guys had enough of this? You're like, no, man, I want to be a good witness. Let's go through more. Yes or no? Part three. Okay, we'll do another, we'll do a part three. We'll do a part three because I could just go real fast. I could just skip it. I'm like, no, there's gold coming up, man. I'm just so excited. I like to always try to say the best for last. So anyway, uh, it's funny because usually when you hear a message on 1 Peter 3.15, it's about what to share with them, how to refute Darwinism, how to refute this, that, and the other. We do that anyway. But that's not the emphasis there. The emphasis is exalting Christ in your heart and being a loving witness to people. Amen. But, and, and, and answering the hope in you based on the scripture and having it centered in Jesus. Amen. Which is what we're doing. Amen. Now, if you're listening and you're not saved, you don't know Jesus, know that he does love you. Know that we love you. If you're listening by, uh, you know, live stream and you're not a, a Christian yet, know this, that, that, you know, God created you to know him. And Jesus said, this is the eternal life that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent, you know. He wants you to know him. He wants you to have eternal life. That we have a desire in our hearts, you know, to worship. Do you know that? We were created to worship. We were created to know the one who is transcendent, who is above us. Why do you think there's such a hunger? Why do you think so many people gravitate toward, for instance, Marvel and DC movies? Why? Because they're looking for something greater, something bigger, because we're created to know the one that's bigger than everything. Amen? And we tend to accept cheap substitutes, and they don't really ever satisfy us. We... You know, and we only find rest when we find Jesus. He's the one who made us, amen? He's the one who created everything. He's the uncreated creator of all things. Since I mentioned hope, and I mentioned the Greek gods, the Norse gods, you know, the Egyptian gods, can you imagine, you know, you know how much power, and I end with this, you know how much power there is in the gospel of Jesus Christ? The Bible says in Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also what? The Greek. The gospel is powerful. Don't forget it because we get saved and we've been saved for some time and we forget somebody else who isn't saved that that gospel, when you share it with them, is so powerful. But you don't want to get inoculated, do you? You want to be thanking God for your salvation every day. But we forget how powerful it is for non-believers to hear the gospel. They might reject it because they don't want anything to do with God. But millions and millions and hundreds and hundreds of millions professing claim to have come to Christ. And you know why it's so helpful? Because there's no hope in this world. Do you think people are turning in, tuning in on MSNBC and getting hope? you think they're tuning in to CNN and saying, oh, this is so awesome. Oh, I'm going to have such a beautiful day now. No. But think of whole cultures. You know the Norse gods? That's Woden or Odin. Woden in German, the Germanic gods. Thor, you know, Loki, there's a TV show, Disney Plus, about Loki, who's the name, which is the name of basically the Teutonic devil, right? You know, guess what? They have no hope. The people that lived under those gods, you know what they had to look forward to? 
in Norse mythology, according to their oldest text, Ragnarok. What's Ragnarok? Ragnarok, Ragnarok was their Armageddon. Oh, they talk about, you know, the Viking movies and the, oh, Vehala, here we come to have, to party in heaven and their heaven and have drink beer with the gods, which is a lie. But you know what? They knew in their teaching, and we have these teachings because they've been preserved mainly from Iceland. Guess what? They, they, they believe Ragnarok. You know what Ragnarok was? It was their Armageddon where there would be a long winter, like three winters long, where these gods would fight and all these things would happen and the elements would, and everything would be destroyed, including every single god. And nothing would ever exist again. How's that for hope? Hopeless. So the Christians come in there sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Eternal life, beyond the grave. You and your family will be saved, me with the Lord forever. It's like, that's good news. No wonder Christianity won the day. Unfortunately, there were a lot of political professing Christians, Roman Catholicism and so forth, distorting the gospel. To this day, it's affected Europe in a negative way in some ways. And then there's true evangelical believers, amen? We have hope. And just like that raided with the people that worship these Norse gods and all these Vikings started coming to Jesus. <clears throat> Guess what? There's people right now that are, have no hope just like that. They're just looking toward oblivion in the future, actually worse than they know sometimes, right? Share Jesus with them, amen? If you don't know Jesus, make sure you embrace him as your Lord and Savior. You'll have hope beyond the grave because he paid for your sins. Otherwise, you're in your sins and you'll pay for them yourself forever. But he paid for them on the cross. He rose again. Amen. Put your trust in Jesus and make sure you're saved. Amen. Can we all please stand?